Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hi, and welcome to the Future Development Podcast. My name is Anthony Montategi. Today, I am joined by the triple net leasing expert, Randy Blankstein. Randy is the president of the Boulder Group. Since 1997, their strategies in real estate investment have made some of the smartest long-term easy to operate real estate strategy investments. He has been written about all throughout the internet. He's on podcasts all the time. I'm really excited to have him here as a guest on our show. And I hope you guys enjoy as much as I do. Randy, welcome to the show. Randy, welcome to the show. So, you know, uh, in talking to uh, your group, I was excited about having you on and really get into the conversations about uh, net lease and all the stuff that's happening in the real estate world. We get all that stuff Let's just take a minute and talk a little bit about you and how you got in the business, and a little bit about the Boulder Group. First of all, thanks for having me, Anthony. I'm very happy to be on the, on, the, on the episode and show. You know, I started the Boulder Group in 1997 in Chicago. I'm local like you. And, you know, at first, before, before the Boulder Group, I had run AT&T's outsourced real estate department, the industrial part of it. And we were responsible for all the service vehicles you see at the end of the day where they start from and where they end. There's about 248 locations in the Midwest that was a portfolio. So it kind of introduced me to this net lease business and single tenant and investment grade tenants. And, you know, we did a lot of sale lease backs and, and kind of start to understand this market and realize, you know, there was a real niche here beyond just AT&T that, you know, for, that was industrial, but most of the net lease product is on the retail side from Walgreens to Home Depot to Walmart to Dollar General. And, you know, kind of saw a big market, a big opportunity it wasn't really an official industry in the 90s. It was just, it was a Walgreens and a single tenant. You know, now there's conferences and REITs and it's more formalized and structured. You know, before it was just a more of a niche business. So now, you know, I realized it was kind of a great vehicle for, for passive real estate investors that own portfolios to, you know, get into after they've sold, after they've built their wealth. It's more of a defensive or bond type structure compared to stocks where you, for the most part, are, are collecting yield are a long-term landlord to tenants with very minimal responsibility. And it was a great kind of investment vehicle or conservative vehicle to get into the net lease space because as people get older in the years and they've, you know, built their nest egg and, and, and built their retirement savings, you know, managing, you know, smaller industrial properties and, and multifamily properties and everything in general real estate, which takes a lot of, you know, active management and value add, you know, when they, when they go to cash in, they can usually have large gains. And, you know, they, they look at selling that, then they realize, oh, I need to pay a huge capital gains tax because I've depreciate this to almost zero over time. And they say, well, you know, I, I do want to sell, but I don't want to pay the tax. So net lease is a good vehicle to come in and, you know, take those gains, roll it into, you know, a long-term lease with an investment grade tenant and collect a, a smaller bond type yield into your retirement. That's our typical investor. So again, I think it's a great market and, you know, it's an expanding market. Most people think of retail as, maybe have not so great at the moment, meaning unknown future e-commerce invasion and other things about it. But if you really drill down, a lot of it has to do with, you know, second tier tenants, which e-commerce is just accelerating their demise or enclosed malls, which people don't go to anymore. You know, the future for net lease is actually pretty bright. It involves a lot of new development of, you know, QSRs, of dollar stores. And now we're starting to see the, from these enclosed malls 
individual tenants who want to go out and build their own freestanding locations. So you see tenants which used to be in malls like Apple, Lululemon, The Gap, Sephora, Bath and Body Works, who are all looking for freestanding locations. And you have tenants who are previously in multi-tenant strip centers who decided during COVID, look, I can't survive. I need my own location. I need my own building suit. So I need to find a drive-through, if not a double drive-through, you know, one for the customer, maybe one for the delivery services, Uber Eats and Door- DoorDash and, and the like. So, you know, that's the future is the drive-through delivery. And I think every restaurant who's in the script center needs to see if the economics work for them to have their own freestanding building, have their own presence and get that drive-through. So, you know, real bullish about net lease in general is, as a as a sector going forward. And, you know, look, I recognize some of the structural issues with retail, but we're actually going to be the beneficiary of it, not one that gets hurt by it. We were traveling all through Europe uh, a couple summers ago, and saw all the change. Even the the, uh, the mall that was were changing. You know, where they become more of an experiential uh, type environment rather than you know individual stores. You know, most of them were um, that we were we were looking at were were these great malls where every store, every tenant in it was a pop up store. You know, uh, the, the mall itself created a zoo. It had this dining experience. It had hot fire, great dining options, a great experience for the family. And it had lots of pop-up stores where those retail brands could do a three, six, nine-month lease, uh, pop in, uh, get, get the customer experience. And then to your point, if they really thought value in that market or found like that was a great spot for them to be, they could go and put a more substantial store where they could have a full experience. Seeing that across the board now, in the even the restaurant world, where uh, even a lot of the restaurant brands that had so many different locations, that a lot of them are, are being able to get serviced by these third-party delivery firms. You know, they're, they're going to be able to take second-tier type real estate and be able to look at uh, real estate different than they ever did before. They may not need as many locations, but the ones they do go down, they double down on, make it way more of an experience than ever before. You know, today. Brands can go in and have, you know, find a couple key look. There's a brand we work with called Ann Pizza on the East Coast. And they spend a, you know, a great deal of money on, on a pizza restaurant, way more than you would expect. But their environment is really amazing. And they'll do a few key locations. And then they service those with auxiliary service units. Now, in some spots, they use food trucks. They'll go out and put a, put a great location in. We'll have that brand experience, but then they'll branch out using third-party delivery knowledge, right? Taking the brand experience and they'll move their food trucks out to a spot where they can maintain their 15, their goal is to get to an eight minute delivery, right? And um, uh, so they'll move a food truck out there, start to get a pattern. uh, And then if they need to play in another store there, they can decide, does it need to be a flagship store or uh, a service part, a service uh, type facility? And I think that as we start to look at the logic of it, you're seeing sort of see a lot of that trade trade out. You know, as, as you talk about the next net lease, as people are looking at net lease, what's the benefit today of looking at a net lease? Well, look, again, it is a passive conservative investment. So if you go by, let's just use Dollar General as an example. You know, you're looking at returns a little bit over 6%. It's an investment grade tenant with a 15 year lease. And it's triple nets. There's no landlord responsibilities. Dollar General is responsible for taxes, maintenance, insurance, et cetera. So, you know, you're getting a return. You know what the company's doing. And, you know, you own you, it's real estate ownership without some of the negatives. You know, it's still real estate ownership at the end of the lease term because <laughs> you still have to renew the tenant and, 
You know, if they don't stay, you still have to retenant it and maybe replace the roof and do these other things. But then again, that's 10 or 15 years down the road. <laughs> you know, for the moment, it's a financial investment that, you know, offers you a return, offers you depreciation, you know, and, you know, that you can get, you know, a good cash on cash and kind of a, as you build a passive portfolio of properties, you know, you can buy properties in another state because, again, you don't need an asset manager to run a property that has no landlord responsibilities. So it's, it's unique in the real estate world from that perspective. You, know, you don't have to build up an asset management team. You don't have to watch it on a day-to-day -day basis. You don't have to worry about a parking lot replacement. You know, these things are all handled by the tenant and you can kind of be a hands-off landlord that essentially is, you know, collecting a check as if you were a bond owner of the company. You know, th that's, that's the big plus to, to why to get into NetLease. I think it's a good diversifier for people's portfolio. Again, you know, I compare NetLease versus, you know, land and, and multifamily and, and other speculation in real estate to the stock versus the bond market. You know, stock markets for people looking for greater returns and the bond market is more of a defensive conservative strategy. You know, usually they can be done together. And obviously people tend to risk off as they get older to tend more towards bonds and less towards stocks, which is more toward net lease and less towards active management because you don't want to do, have a speculative land portfolio in your 80s. Probably not a great idea. So again, I think it fits within a portfolio and it fits, you know, well. And from, you know, usually the people in it are, are higher net worth in general, but you can get into it through through REITs and other and DSTs and other ways uh, on the low volume way as well. You don't necessarily have to be high net worth to get into it. You can to get into single ownership though. You probably need to be high net worth, but not necessarily you know fractional ownership or, or equity ownership. So I'm for stocks. I'm, so I'm Bob and Betty uh, investor, and I've got this piece of property uh, on a market that's grown. I don't have the time nor the experience. Do I want to go out and and, and manage? Uh, putting a retail center in there, building it out, managing the tenants in there. Uh, you know, just I'm at a point in life where that's not what I want to do. How do they go about finding a partner to put that together for them? Again, you know, we're a brokerage firm that, that does this. And so usually people call us up. They say, look, I'm selling my, you know, two flat property or my piece of land or, or whatever real estate that they happen to own. And I'm looking for more passive, easier real estate. You know, can you assist me in identifying some properties? Can you point me in the right direction for financing? Can you show me what I should be looking for as far as sales volumes and traffic counts and, and growth markets and demographics and hard corners and traffic lights, you know, things that the basic real estate fundamentals that you still want to have, because despite it being a, a long-term leased investment, it's still a piece of real estate. And every day that the lease burns down, you know, the real estate fundamentals come into play and you want to sleep well at night and know that you can refinance it, retenant it. And there's a high chance of renewal ultimately, because that's the biggest characteristic of a net lease is. You know, can you get your tenant to renew and can renew for the long term? So you want to make sure it's a successful location for them and that you have a backup plan for, you know, residual real estate valuation. Again, even situations which people think are, are negative aren't necessarily. So I know a lot of people that bought um, Kmart's, for instance, in the 80s. And I know people would say, well, you know, that's terrible because Kmart hasn't done that well. These are vintage locations. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not what you're looking to be when you get in that lease. But what happened was Kmart leases were primarily flat. They were infill major location, large land phase. And a lot of them got taken out as multifamily developments. Some got retended as Target. You know, there was a lot of reuses and the land value became the, the play of it, even though Kmart didn't necessarily perform well. So, you know, there's more than one way to get out of these things. It doesn't just have to be an extension of the tenant or a retenant. You know, you could just, it could be a land play at the end of the day. You could be land banking for 20 or 30 years if you buy the right location and the right tenant. So, you know, people have done real well in the sector as a whole. Um, and people just need to be careful as far as, 
you know, not going into some, you know, tertiary and rural markets that they don't understand and that, you know, doesn't have depth of tenants and, you know, or, or negative characteristics as far as demographic growth. What are typically the characteristics when you're looking at them going, these are the characteristics I always shy away from. When you're looking at at this, what's, what's the, uh, what's the motto? The most important thing by far is sales, store sales, if they report or to find, figure out what they are. Meaning, you know, if you're a quick service restaurant, you want to be under an 8% rent to sales. I want to know that it, it's a profitable location, that they're doing well or above the average chain average. And that, you know, if they're doing well, there's, they'll obviously keep the store up better. They will um, have a greater chance of renewing. You can sell it better. You can refinance it better. You need to make sure that store is performing. You know, the last thing you want to do is find a, a tenant that has a 20-year lease that leaves after five years. They'll continue to pay the rent, obviously, because they're obligated to. But again, a dark store is completely different valuation. And, you know, you don't want to, you bought it for a passive conservative investment. You don't want to spend your time subleasing it, retenanting, and, you know, worrying about the real estate value much sooner than you ever thought you would. So again, you know, strong performing locations, net lease properties, freestanding properties, single tenant properties, whatever you want to call them, have an 86% renewal rate over time. So, you know, most of these tenants renew. The key is you don't get caught in the 14% or you don't get caught in a concept that is, you know, change, declining, you know, has outdated store model when renewal day comes. So again, you just have to drill down and do your due diligence. It's like any other real estate deal. Absolutely. You know, you're looking at those uh, tenants you bring in there that are on top of making sure that their prototype stays up to date, right? Making sure that their the tenant you're putting in there is part of that uh, net lease. What are some of the characteristics you're looking for when you're putting together a net lease for a brand? Again, we typically don't represent, we're not a tenant rep firm, so we don't represent the tenant going to look for space. Sure. We're representing the landlord or the developer build it and sell it, or a buyer who's looking to buy an existing one that's already built. We're not, again, we're not, even though we do a lot of Walgreens deals, we don't represent Walgreens in finding the initial deal. You know, typically, um, you know, again, and since these are 20 years, you know, the supply of existing ones versus new construction is 95% of the market is existing, not new construction on any given day. But clearly tenants like Walgreens, let's just use them as an example. It's a benchmark that a lot of people know. You know, they look for locations that have drive-throughs. They look for freestanding locations. They look for signalized intersections. They look for two points of ingress and egress. You know, they want to be kind of at the main and main street, preferably on the way going home on the right side of a freeway exit at the end of the day that people stop on their way home and pick up whatever things that they're considering. Um, you know, that's what they want to be. So if I, if I owned a Walgreens location that was in a strip center, I would have concerns. If I owned a Walgreens that didn't have a drive-through, I would be concerned. If I owned a Walgreens that was mid-block, I know these are things which aren't their current prototype or what they desire. So if there's an opportunity for them in the future to move to the location that has one of those things, um, they're certainly going to explore it. So as you look back over uh, all the deals you've done, what are the ones you're most proud of? You know, I'm, I'm most proud of the ones that the tenant renews in. And luckily we've had, you know, we've been fairly selective and we're fairly conservative. So we tell, we don't encourage people to chase yield. We think that's a time for a different part of their life to be chasing yield and, and doing speculation to, you know, kind of become wealthy. People come to us, usually they're already wealthy and our job is protection. So, you know, we, we don't want them in these small markets because of the depth. I mean, there was a point 10 years ago, maybe when there was 150 basis points spread between a major metro and, and a tertiary market that today is like 25 or 50 basis points 
we don't think you're getting paid for the extra risk. And, you know, we've seen people in small markets have problems retending, you know, have problems um, with tenants that don't perform. You know, I'd feel much better in a major market. There's velocity, there's replacement tenants, there's more lenders, there's more investors. It's just, a, you know, top 25 metros, NFL metros, whatever you want to call them, you know, just have a certain velocity about them that you can't find elsewhere. And it's worth a slight premium. So look, I'm happy when everyone does well. Luckily, we've been the wind at our backs, which is interest rates have gone down 20 years in a row. And, you know, not many people have come to this market and, and not done well because of that. And I'm sure one day it's going to reverse. Most people, some people think it's soon. Some people don't. But certainly, you know, values and in, in, in inflation are, and in interest rates are correlated. And again, even if you believe they're going to go up, I still don't think they're going to go up dramatically. And I think it's an asset class that offers a much better fixed income yield than, than treasuries and some other alternatives. And you have a demographic of older people who are under safe for retirement who will continue to seek this out because there's a yield pickup for them. So, you know, we're pretty bullish. And, and you know, you saw during the pandemic last year, there was three net lease REITs that went public, um, which I think is a testament to people's desire for yield and safety. <laughs> so again, safety goes in and out of, you know, vogue at occasionally in times. Um, but during, you know, I've seen a few cycles now because I'm a veteran instead of old. I use that term. And, and what happens is, you know, 07 to 09, if you owned a 20-year Walmart location, you don't know there was a recession, that there was a financial crisis. You don't know COVID happened because you just collected your rent the whole time through and Walmart has, has gone without a hitch. Whereas a lot of real estate sectors have lots of other different issues. You've avoided that all. Again, it's where the conservative comes and helps you out. So, you know, if you do it right and you're conservative and, and again, some luck, meaning you had a 20-year lease at the time <laughs> when there was a financial crisis in 07, 09, you know, you've done very well and, and it, it did exactly what it's supposed to do. And that's our goal. It's, it's always that strategy looking at, you know, across my career, looking at some of the real estate deals that I, I thought for sure this is going to be the one that's going to nail it. And then those were failure. And then some of the other ones where I wasn't sure about have nailed it. Uh, you know, it, it, as, as wise as I think I've been, you know, there's also a bit of luck in there and having, having great tenants that uh, will weather storms with you and then see the brighter side of it as we, as we go through a storm. Uh, it's always fun. You know, I was talking about that um, changes in the environment. Uh, are you seeing different tenant sty uh, styles uh, on these triple net leases? Are, are you seeing different kinds? You know, are, are we looking, is industrial growing? Are, are you seeing any of the third party, the Amazon type warehouse stuff growing? What, what are you seeing that uh, uh, is a predictor of where, where you think the industry is going as a, for the long haul? Well, clearly industrial is going. It's in favor. You know, Amazon is clearly a big tenant and then, you know, as are the other logistics firms, FedEx, UPS are doing, are doing well and anybody kind of in, you know, the, the e-commerce distribution business is, is obviously has rented their back and is doing well. Um, and I think that's a great market. I mean, the problem is a lot of the new construction properties like Amazon are very large and, and you know, 30 to $80 million. So much more institutional, not in individual investors, but they're great properties. They're state of the art. You know, everybody, obviously, no one's concerned about Amazon's you know, short to midterm future, right? So industrial is certainly a favorite product type. There's no question about it. The only negative with industrial is there's a lack of product at the moment to round. So cap rates are extremely low. And, um, you know, there's less kind of investment grade tenants in there. I mean, there's a few that I just named, but there's also a lot of like local and regional tenants. So a little bit lower on the credit perspective, but again, probably better real estate. 
Office, as you would expect, is a little out of favor at the moment. Most people want to understand what new occupancy rates look at. You know, everyone thinks a lot of these Fortune 500 companies are going to go to hybrid models. Maybe you're in the office three days a week and two days a week you can go at home. Well, if you're at home two days a week, that's 40% less office space that's required. So, you know, that's an open question as to what level they come back at for optimization levels. But I would certainly argue it's less than 100% that they were pre-COVID. And retail, you know, is in this kind of transition. But again, it's toward this freestanding and toward convenience in smaller locations closer to the consumer because they want to compete with e-commerce and make it just as convenient for you to go out and buy something on your way home as it is to order it online. You know, obviously the negative online, which people are just really figuring out for sure is, you know, that the time required to do it, if you in fact are in returns, is much less efficient than people had thought. And if there's a store on your way home that you can grab something at, it may be, it may be a quicker transaction than doing it online. But again, better for freestanding again, quick, easy. And that's one of the reasons the closed malls aren't doing as well. It's a time commitment. And it was designed at a time when they were places, gathering places, which they aren't. Most people shop now more of a, you know, get my, get my thing, fix my phone, whatever it is, and then move on to back to, back to their house. <laughs> um, it's not the experience that it was going to a shopping mall and spending a few hours at the mall like it used to be. No, I think that COVID and uh, the pandemic has really sped this up. You know, the learning, I, I know for me, the evolution of going from ordering online uh, to people working at home, you know, look, I, I, I hate change. And, you know, embracing that, you know, I, I like having my team at the office. I love having people here. I love to be able to look in their eye and see them. But getting that, the inefficiencies of that learning uh, through the pandemic, how to do that, uh, all of those have taken, you know, for me, uh, lots of little steps to, to go from, uh, you know, to trust that we can do that, that people aren't just playing Nintendo all day long. Uh, see, that's even funny because I'm not sure people play Nintendo anymore. You know, but that's, that's, that's the background where I come from. And then ordering online, that's a, that's a whole other one, right? I, I like to walk in, talk to some. I walk in, there's a kiosk right next to there. There'll be not, nobody at the kiosk. There'll be 20 people at the line. And I find myself going, hmm. Now, just recently, I'm starting to make that evolution. I think the pandemic in itself has helped me evolve uh, through that. And I think that's what we're seeing across across our society, that the pandemic kind of sped things up. I, I, I say it's a five or 10 year kind of acceleration that it's created uh, by getting us to, to you know, figure out some of these systems. You know, so I think that's in itself is kind of fun uh, for me to go, all right, hey, maybe you can evolve. You prehistoric beast, you can, you can, you can evolve to the, the young folks here at uh, CDO kind of, kind of laugh and go, yeah, look, look, look he's uh, actually evolving. <laughs> You, you come around. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that while there's certainly positives to that, I mean, the negative is, you know, companies and tenants and floor plans that were probably in decline originally, you know, accelerated their demise. So you've quickly had a huge acceleration of winners and losers that became much more pronounced as of as the last six to 12 months. And, you know, I think there's still a lot of wait and see too, which is, you know, for, for things which are out of sector, out of favor in my sector, which is um, gyms and movie theaters, you know, what do they come back and look like? Meaning, do people stay home and just stay on their Peloton and their mirror and their, you know, weight set that they bought? Or do they need to be in the gym all the time? So again, I think people are looking at, you know, where's the volume in that? Do people go back to movie theaters like it's like it's no different? Or, you know, as habits change forever. So I think, you know, people's floor plans are going to be in flux and this new development and kind of new prototypes 
you know, are going to evolve, but it's going to be, you know, a transition time. I don't think anyone wants to go out there and build, you know, the same LA fitness or lifetime fitness locations that they built two years ago, because they may or may not be relevant. <laughs> I think they'd rather wait six months, kind of see whose habits have changed, who, who haven't, and then, you know, change their, change their for, format and footprint for, you know, the new reality which, you know, I don't guess I'm plenty happy working out at home. <laughs> I, you know, have a Peloton and other things and, you know, I've adapted to it and it's, it's quicker. I can save the time from going to going to the gym and showering the whole routine that goes to the gym, you know, it takes a lot of time and you can still get essentially the majority of the workout at home. You know, how many people are going to do that similar to me? I mean, I guess it's easier for older suburban people who may have more room to kind of build like home gyms and things of the nature versus if you're a 20 year old with a small apartment in the city, you know, you're probably right back to the gym as it stands, but you know, how many people are going to move to a gym and not a gym? These are open questions and, and, and flow plates and business models that, you know, are affecting real estate are affecting that leads are affecting your development that we're going to see play out in the next six months. You know, I, I still am old, old school. I go to the gym. I, you know, I've got the, I've got all, I've got the, all the equipment here to work that stuff here and uh, you know, at the house and I, and I love it. Uh, but after something like going to the gym, that just makes me work out a little harder. You know, uh, uh, in fact, I've now gone to another step, right? Now, now I, I want to go to a gym where I have a personal trainer, right? I like, I have, you know, the last, since the pandemic, I'm trying to work off that quarantine 15 and I've just loved uh, having that, you know, that, that, that uh, interaction with a trainer. It seems like uh, I'm not sure everybody has that uh, ability to do that, but, you know, in the last uh, six months, having that experience has been just been priceless for me. For me, the gym yesterday was my first time I ever did two workouts in one day. I was like, "Wow, this is." Uh, I, I woke up this morning a little tired, but I thought to myself, "Wow, that is a dramatic change for where I was a year ago." And a lot of that had to do with just having that interaction. I, and sometimes I wasn't getting that. You know, I find my my treadmill and, and the mirror and all the stuff we have here to to do the workouts in the gym. And I, you know, I kind of get in that gym and. That guidance wasn't there. Playing off with someone uh, helped me. Uh, we went to the we went to the movies. Um, I, I took my daughter to the movies. Uh, they, they had limited seating, but went to the movies the other day, and I was like, "Wow, I missed the movies, right? I missed the popcorn and the sugary foods and the you know." It's not something that I do it do at home. I don't eat. Uh, we don't eat uh, you know chocolate covered raisins at the house. Uh, all of a sudden, probably a good thing. Yeah, I'm at, I'm, at the, I'm at the movie theater. I'm like, all right, we're going to mom's side here. We'll, we'll snack a little bit. So that was kind of fun. So um, I, I've, uh, I've loved this. The uh, triple net lease uh, market, uh, you know, it's, it's a fascinating one. You certainly are an expert in it, your group. You know, if, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best place for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best place is either to go to our website, bouldergroup.com, or go to LinkedIn look up my profile. I respond to either, you know, our website's great, especially if you go to the research page. If you don't know a lot about the Netlease market, there's a few things to read to kind of catch you up and understand the basics. So I think that's probably a good starting point or, you know, reach out to me. We'll discuss it. Either, either one works. Awesome. Well, Randy, I've, I've loved to have you on. I will uh, put your link uh, to your, to your group uh, down below and uh, we'll have, uh, look forward to having you and your team on, uh, on future call on future podcasts. And uh, it's, it's great having you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good getting to know you. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can do some things in the future. Cool. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi, always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.